this is Brooke Pernice with Good Books, True Stories, Beautiful Songs. John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his papa's knee. He grabbed up a hammer and a little piece of steel. He cried, that hammer's gonna be the death of me, Lord, Lord. The hammer's gonna be the death of me. Well, if you haven't heard the story of John Henry, you've probably heard one of the songs. John Henry, it's said, was a freed slave who went out to drive steel on the railroad. And they say he could drive faster than anyone else in the country. Until one day, a man showed up with a steam drill. I don't know if it was with the intent of just selling it to the railroad boss or taking away all of the freedmen's jobs, but John Henry said, I will die with my hammer in my hand before I see that machine take my job or anyone else's. And so, they say, there was a contest between man and machine, John Henry and the steam drill. And they say, John Henry beat it by about five feet. But it was too much for one man, and he laid down his hammer, and he died. I don't know how much, if any, of that story is true, but part of me hopes that at least some of it is. Because the idea of man versus machine, flesh and blood over steel and gears and technology, is not only a quintessentially American idea, but especially right now, it is an unavoidably human idea. When John Henry was a little baby, no bigger than the palm of your hand, his mammy looked down at John Henry and said, My Johnny will be a steel driving man, Lord, Lord, my Johnny will be a steel driving man. The story of John Henry started being told shortly after the Civil War in the African American communities. And I think part of the reason for that is the freedmen understood something that most of the country didn't. They had just come out of a situation where they were being bought and sold, in essence viewed as tools or machines to do someone else's labor. And they realized that if a society had not reformed morally, had not realized how wrong it was to view people in such a way, people would continue to be viewed as expendable, just in different ways. Machines could easily take jobs that people needed. But more than that, I think they also understood what could happen to a society if it started looking for easier ways, more efficient ways to do everything without considering people. I think they understood that virtues like patience, perseverance, hard work could start to fade. Those things might stop being admired, encouraged, and respected because the new trend might be to do things as quickly and as easily as possible. And never mind who was affected. The captain said to John Henry, gonna bring that steam drill around, gonna bring that steam drill out on the job, it'll pop that steel on down, Lord, Lord, it'll pop that steel on down. Our current 
crisis of man versus machine, I think is a little bit different because it has more to do with software than hardware. I think most of the ethical concerns people are talking about right now have to do with the internet. And I just finished a great book called The Internet is Not What You Think It Is by Justin E.H. Smith. He has a really helpful way of understanding the internet. He talks about it as if it is a thing, a machine, a system or an entity in and of itself, so that we can start to understand what the internet is doing as a machine. How is this machine affecting us? John Henry said to his captain, a man ain't nothing but a man. Before I let that steam drill run me on down, I'd die with a hammer in my hand, Lord, Lord. I'll die with a hammer in my hand. Now, I'm not here to say that the internet needs to go away or we need to stop using it. After all, this is a podcast. And if I thought that, I probably wouldn't close myself in my office closet and stand behind a microphone. Because if I didn't want anyone to listen to me, I wouldn't podcast and I wouldn't put it out over the internet. But I will say that I think we can tell many ways in which the internet is used badly or wrongly or immorally. Some of it, of course, has to do with the distribution of pornography. We can also point to the knockdown, drag-out fights between people who've never seen each other on social media. But it's not just that. It's our whole view of the internet and what it is used for. Especially with artificial intelligence growing as exponentially as it has in the last several years, people have started viewing the internet as a sort of replacement or rival to the brain. The problem with that is our brains were created by God, and he designed them for far more than computing or calculating or generating facts. We're also to think and to feel and to experience and to be in relationship with other people. But we can see how the internet and all of the devices associated with it have often disrupted our attention span. We often don't have the desire or the moral character to pay attention to someone that we care about because we have allowed the internet to affect us in such a deep way. We often don't put in hard work that is worth doing, memorizing things like song lyrics. We often don't do that anymore because we consider that we can always look it up. And our view of hard work, I think we can say, has changed. Why work on something if there's a shortcut, even if it's not as good? So I think we're seeing the result of machines winning that fight, at least for now. Well, the captain said to John Henry, I believe the mountains came in. John Henry turned back to his captain and said, Ain't nothing but my hammer sucking wind, Lord, Lord. It ain't nothing but my hammer sucking wind. 
Neil Postman wrote an incredible book called Technopoly, in which he laid out three different worldviews that cultures could have about tools, machines, any other sort of technology. First, he talks about tool-based cultures, and I think he would say that every culture through about the Middle Ages was tool-based. And in these cultures, tools were created to solve specific problems. You had a practical reason for creating something like that. Then he would say that you have technocracy. And he would probably point to around the Renaissance period, what we call the scientific revolution, or the time when that really started. And that is when technologies, and he would include things like scientific research in that, are pursued somewhat for their own sake. It's not simply to solve a problem, but it's the idea that society must progress and must do so through technology. But it's not so integral to society that it completely dominates it. It's an important force, but it's not completely dictated. Well, then he talks about technopoly. And I think he would probably point to the invention of the telegraph as the beginning of this stage in our culture. And technopoly is when a society is driven by technology. It is the dominant force. And it is so integral to life that if you were not to participate in various technologies, you wouldn't really be participating in society. Now, I'm not here saying that we need to go back to a strictly tool-based culture or anything of the sort. I'm very grateful for many of the technologies that surround me. But I do think that given how much technology has monopolized a lot of our lives and how impossible it is for us to do a lot of things without it, John Henry may have a lesson to teach us about being a little bit more independent and thinking a little bit more independently. Well, the man who invented the steam drill, he thought he was mighty fine. But John Henry drove down 14 feet and the steam drill only made nine, Lord, Lord, the steam drill only made nine. In his book, Smith talks about the internet in a pretty unusual way. He says that it really shines if you're talking about something like Wikipedia, where you can quickly look something up and then move on with your larger project. So think about it as the extension of a Texas Instruments calculator from the 1980s, or maybe a Franklin Electronic Dictionary from the 90s, just on a way bigger scale. Or he also compares it to a microscope. So it's like a window that you can see parts of the world through that otherwise you would not be able to see. John Henry could not have beat that steam drill without his hammer. That hammer, you could say, was almost like an extension of his arm. And we could say that the internet can be the same way for us. It allows us not to know every single fact the minute we need to know it, 
not to have to go through a bunch of long division or something similar. It allows us to generate those things quickly so that we can get on with the larger project, what is more important, what is deeper. I just started reading Thomas Sowell's book, Knowledge and Decisions. Don't worry, I will put all of these in the show notes, by the way. But he talks about the fact that our knowledge in the last couple of hundred years has decreased in a general way because we don't have to think about how to acquire food in the same way that we would have had to a few centuries ago. We don't have to think about certain things and we don't have to have certain skills because technology and other people take care of them for us. But on the other hand, we are able to increase in what we might call specialized knowledge. Now, he doesn't necessarily say that that's good or bad or indifferent. He just says it's important that we acknowledge that, that our knowledge is not infinitely increasing. And so there's a humility that we can have in that realization. We can realize that the internet is a tool which is allowing us not to know certain things off the top of our head, not to have to work as hard for certain things, but hopefully we can use that to work just as hard for other things, to do whatever it is we want to do, like John Henry and his hammer. John Henry hammered in the mountain, his hammer striking fire. But he worked so hard that he broke his poor heart, and he laid down his hammer and he died, Lord, Lord. He laid down his hammer and he died. Adrian Stoutenberg ends his telling of John Henry's story this way. Down south, and in the north too, people still talk about John Henry and how he beat the steam engine at the Big Bend Tunnel. They say if John Henry were alive today, he could beat almost every other kind of machine. Maybe so. At least, John Henry would die trying. Whether there's any history in John Henry's story or not, it points us to a few truths. For one thing, machines will continue to be built. Technologies will continue to increase, whether for better or for worse. Maybe technology can slow down enough to stop outpacing common sense, as one of my friends likes to say, but honestly, I doubt it at this stage. There's also a limit to what we can do to resist. John Henry may have resisted the steam drill, but it still came in eventually. And whether or not he actually died trying, many of those jobs did. When it comes to the internet, I think Neil Postman would advise us not to allow certain skills to be lost. I think Justin E.H. Smith would advise us to remember that the internet isn't a replacement for the brain. It's a tool so that the brain can use its power for something else. I think Thomas Sowell would remind us that we're not quite so knowledgeable as we like to think. 
But what would John Henry say, whether real or imagined? I haven't had the pleasure of visiting with John Henry, so I can't say for sure. I have to use speculation and a bit of imagination myself. But he might tell us to remember the past. He might tell us to remember what happened when our first parents reached for the fruit of knowledge that was forbidden to them, and how it meant death and the end of walking closely with God. He might remind us about how when all mankind decided to unite and build a great tower to storm heaven and to be as gods, they were scattered all over the earth in God's judgment, but also in his mercy. He might remind us that, as the psalmist says, unless the Lord raises the house, its builders strive in vain. And that we can take comfort in that, because whatever crazy plans some of these techies might have to be as gods, they will ultimately fail. He might remind us that we are made in the image of God, male and female, and no machine can ever replace that. We contain in us the breath, the Holy Spirit of God keeping us alive, and no machine or electrical pulse or anything else can come close to our worth and our dignity. But he might also remind us that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. No matter what harebrained schemes we have to become immortal, they will fail. Everlasting life comes in Christ, and everlasting punishment in rejecting him. And he might remind us to remember him, that he would not be a slave to a machine. He would not let a machine take what was his. Like him, he might remind us that in small ways, we can beat technology too. We can say, I will have the moral character to pay attention to the people I care about who are in front of me. And to consider the technology crying out for my attention to be less important. Even if there is someone on the other end, they'll still be there. I can still get with them later, but I will attend to you while you are with me. We can say, I will learn skills like memorizing, like working hard on things, even if people think I'm wasting my time because technology can just do it for you. And we can praise people in every generation, like John Henry, who said, a man ain't nothing but a man, but a machine, it's just a machine. We can remember that a cold machine has no soul in it. No breath of life is to be found there. They buried John Henry in the graveyard, laid him down in the sand. Every 
time an old freight train rolls by, they say yonder lies a steel-driving man. Lord, Lord, yonder lies a steel-driving man. They say yonder lies a steel-driving man.